You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. I shouldn't have picked this little tree. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. That is indeed what Christmas is all about. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado. And surely everyone is familiar with that little clip from A Charlie Brown Christmas where Linus Van Pelt explains to Charlie Brown how Christmas isn't about how well we execute. If I can paraphrase, Christmas is about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the promised Messiah who would deliver his people from sin and death, coming to be one of us. Emmanuel means God with us. And that's what Christ was. And that's what Christ is, God with us. I hope you're having a good Christmas season this year, 2021. Today is at least as of the time of this recording, Sunday, December 12th, 2021. So it's 12-12-2-1, which is kind of cool. But I think this bears paying a little bit more attention to. I talked about it on yesterday's podcast. You can go back and listen to that if you haven't yet. Counteracting holiday fatigue and irritability. And I'll be honest, I listened back through, as is my tendency, listened back through my podcast from yesterday, and I encouraged myself, which is a good thing to do, remind yourself of things that are true and that are good. And actually, as we closed out yesterday's episode, reading from Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, that's what the Apostle Paul encourages is we think about things that are true and that are just and that are pure and that are holy and that are 
praiseworthy, laudable, commendable. We think about those things and rejoice. He says again, rejoice. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about whether your family is going to enjoy all of the gifts you picked out for them, whether your friends are all going to like your ugly sweater, whether inflation is going to cause you to be unable to buy the gifts that you had wanted to buy or to make this holiday season as special as previous holiday seasons. Don't be anxious about any of those things or anything else whatsoever. According to the Apostle Paul, we shouldn't be anxious about anything. But in prayer and supplication, we should present our requests to God. Prayer and thanksgiving, actually. So you give thanks. Even as you're asking God for the thing that you are asking for, that you either need or you want, even as you're asking God to intercede on your behalf, you are thanking him for what you already have. You're coming with an attitude of gratitude because you've already been given all that you need for life and godliness in Christ. And we can miss this if we are too distracted by shows of wealth and power, a massive light display, a glorious Christmas tree, expensive presents, people going all out for the holidays and throwing the best party you ever did see. Those kinds of things can be fine, and yet we shouldn't get so wrapped up in them, pun intended, that we forget that the most precious gift has already been given, and we have it if we are in Christ. And if we're not in Christ, then the gift is free. Inflation is not going to make it any more expensive. It couldn't possibly be any more expensive or any freer than it is. It's a gift that God provided, and all things belong to God and are for God, and that includes our lives. That includes us. So I just love that little scene, that little couple of minutes in It's a Charlie Brown Christmas. I love the simplicity of what Linus is talking about there as he recounts the gospel story of the birth of Christ. It's so simple and so clean and so beautiful and pure and innocent. And just think about how it is that God chose his only begotten son to enter into the world, to be born of a virgin, to be laid in a manger, to be on the run, you know, forget having a massive display of wealth and power. God warns Joseph in a dream that Herod is out to get this newborn baby, to kill this newborn baby. In fact, all of the baby boys, two years old and younger, in Bethlehem are murdered because Herod wants to eliminate a rival as he sees it. And he thinks he can, which is hubris on his part. God has an angel warn Joseph in a dream to flee to Egypt. And so 
That's what happens. They go to Egypt and they wait until God sends another message through the angel that it's safe to go back. Baby Jesus has no army at his beck and call to stop what it is that Herod has in view to do, at least not as God sets it up. In a sense, the heavenly hosts are an army at baby Jesus' beck and call, and yet God doesn't flex in the nativity, except to use the weak things of the world to shame the strong, to use the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, so that no one can boast in front of God. It makes me think of the best martial arts scenes in which the true master of martial arts doesn't need to make a massive show of strength. In fact, he might just as well poke fun at the macho, oiled up, muscular egomaniac. It makes me think of Tombstone, the scene where the cowboys come into the saloon, come into the bar, and there's a fight brewing already from the get-go, from the jump. Doc Holliday is sitting there at the table, and Ringo comes up. Ringo is one of the cowboys. He's trying to antagonize Doc Holliday, and he pulls out his pistol, and he's doing some fancy handwork with it to show just how comfortable he is with a six-shooter. And the whole room is fixated on what's going to happen. Is somebody about to be shot? If so, who is it going to be? The tension is thick. And Doc Holliday, for his part, is a little bit inebriated. But he finds a way of diffusing the potential gunfight by taking the teacup or coffee cup or whatever it is in his hands and doing some fancy handwork of his own as a kind of jest, as a kind of mocking of Ringo. I'm not afraid of you. And just to show that I'm not afraid of you and that I don't take all of this too seriously, I'm going to mimic what it is that you're doing with your six-shooter with this cup in my hand. Everybody gets a good laugh except for Ringo. But Ringo is outplayed, outmaneuvered. That's the end of that. And I think that's similar to what God was doing with the nativity, with the way that Jesus came into the world. God fulfilled his promise. He kept his word. He had promised all the way back in the Garden of Eden that he would send a Savior. He would send the Messiah. He promised it again and again over hundreds of years, over thousands of years, to generations and generations and generations of his people. And then, when the Messiah is born in Bethlehem, the angels announce it to shepherds, shepherds on the hill guarding their flocks at night. And shepherds make for an interesting choice on God's part. 
to be the heralds, to be the announcers, to be the ones running all through the town, all through the countryside. Shepherds who smell like sheep, who are not necessarily polite society. They're not all dolled up. They're not all perfumed and sweet-smelling and well-dressed. They're simple folk because it pleased God to do it that way. And of course, a Charlie Brown Christmas is not gospel itself, but I love that it points to the gospel account. And I love the sweet simplicity of Charlie Brown's little Christmas tree, which is not impressing anybody. In fact, everyone lets him know this is just the worst. Of all the Charlie Browns in the world, you are the Charlie Browniest. <laughs> and he is grieved. He is miserable. As Charlie Brown often is, he is very bothered by having clumsily done a silly thing, looked foolish. He is mocked and affected by the mockery. And yet there's Linus. Linus is my favorite. I like Linus Van Pelt in Peanuts well enough that if we had enough children, I might just name one of them Linus. <laughs> Linus is there like a good neighbor, like a good friend, to remind Charlie Brown what Christmas is really actually about. And to remind everyone, everyone who was making fun of, who was harassing Charlie Brown over his Christmas tree and how pathetic it was, Linus is there to remind everyone what Christmas is really about. Again, it's not about our ability to execute perfectly. In fact, it may just be that God's purpose is for us to honor him in our weakness, in our finitude. Our widow's might may just be just the thing. And maybe it's all for the best if we don't have everything together. If God uses that to draw us to himself, and if God exalts those who are humble and raises them up and blesses them, but opposes the proud, then perhaps it's all for the best if we don't have an abundance of reasons to be puffed up, to be proud, to boast in ourselves, to be very self-satisfied. Maybe it's for the best, actually. Maybe that, too, is a gift from the good Lord, and we should thank him for it rather than being anxious about it. Quite simply, what needs giving what needs doing, what needs preparing at Christmas time has already been given and done and prepared by the Most High God. And we celebrate that, and it's good for us to celebrate that, and we remember that, and it's good for us to remember that. And in some measure, we want to imitate that as a way of testifying to it, that's a good reason to give gifts, in my opinion. That's a good reason to decorate, in my opinion. And yet, if we 
mix up the cart and the horse and we think that our imitation is the main event, the big show. Our celebration, our remembrance is the big event, the main attraction. Well, then no wonder we're going to be sad and depressed and overextended and exhausted and discouraged. No wonder we're going to feel inadequate. We are inadequate, actually, in fact. But God is sufficient, all-sufficient, and glorious, and worthy. And part of how we praise him and how we honor him is by recognizing our need for him. Not just internally, also externally. And if there are evidences for all the world to see of our need for Jesus... (laughs) well then perhaps we shouldn't fight that maybe we should embrace that maybe we should rest in that maybe we should find our peace in that I think that actually is precisely what God tells us to do I know Philippians chapter 4 is not a Christmas passage traditionally it's not one of the usual passages like the one that Linus quotes from but it's good to remember that Christmas is not disconnected it's not a season that you segregate compartmentalize put back on the shelf the incarnation the importance of the incarnation is year round and every year and for all eternity and so It's just as well that we would draw other passages in, think about this season and the nativity and the incarnation in light of these other passages as well. Verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You know, I could talk in this episode very easily, and I thought about it on the front end. I could talk about how Russia is amassing troops on the border with Ukraine. And that's important. And that is concerning. And what are we doing about it? Our president is withholding military aid from Ukraine, which sounds like a familiar story. You'd think he would have learned his lesson, but I think he forgot. We could talk about the rising price of gas, Yen. Again, once more, we could talk about a 40-year high inflation report. 6.8%, I believe, is what I saw. In my lifetime, inflation has never been as high as it is right now. The rate of inflation is very concerning. And we should pay attention to that. and We should figure out what we can do about it. And we should be wise and honor the good Lord in how we respond to these kinds of things. 
and many, many others. And yet, we honor the Lord best if before we try to engage on those things, we are clear on what Paul is talking about here in Philippians chapter 4 as he closes out the letter. Rejoice in the Lord always. That means right now. For anyone who feels a little bit like Christmas time, we should be still talking about these other things. How can we celebrate at a time like this? How can we celebrate Christmas and be buying gifts and be decorating our homes and listening to Christmas music and watching Christmas movies and eating Christmas cookies and singing Christmas carols? And how can we be doing that at a time like this when the world is going crazy? And I'll tell you, because we're commanded to. We're commanded to. And in fact, now might be the very best of times to rejoice. When Paul says rejoice in the Lord always, that includes right now. That includes times like these. These are the times that try men's souls. And yet, what we want to be found out when our souls are tried in times like these is that we rejoice in the Lord always. The tone and tenor of our rejoicing may be a bit more bittersweet, and yet it is proper and good and right and needful for us to rejoice in the Lord. Anyways, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Anything. Not inflation, not election fraud, not pandemics, not plandemics, not censorship, not tax rates, not energy, not the economy, not national security, not partisan politics, not family dysfunction, not our own fatigue, none of that. Do not be anxious about anything. The Lord is at hand. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Let your requests be made known to God. And then what you do is you rest in the fact that God knows. God knows what we're going through. God knows what is happening. God knows what will happen and what won't happen. And not only does he know it, he reserves the right to change what's going to happen, to intervene. He reserves the right to send his only begotten son into the world, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, as John 3.16 says. God reserves the right to intervene and send the Messiah to a young virgin, probably, probably quite young, actually, compared to our sensibilities nowadays. She may well have been 14 or 15 years old, however we might feel about that. We think... Young people need to wait until they're 25, certainly at least until 18, 19, 20. 18, 19, 20, you're still young. Man, you're so young to be getting married. Wow. It has not always been so. Mary might have been 14, 15 years old. We don't know. It's beside the point. But we do know she wasn't yet married. She was still a virgin. That needed to be the way that it was. It was intentional that God chose Mary. Joseph was an honorable man. And when he found out that she was pregnant, he knew he had not 
gotten her pregnant. And his first thought was not that this is the Messiah that was promised. His first thought was that she had been unfaithful. And he resolved to divorce her quietly. Not to make a big show out of it. Not to destroy her, but to quietly remove himself from the situation. And yet, there again, God intervenes. Joseph doesn't know what's going on until God lets Joseph know. And so maybe, just maybe, if we don't feel like we have all of the information that we need in order to make an informed, wise, honorable decision sometimes, we wait on the Lord. And maybe the Lord makes known to us what it is that we need to know. And maybe we don't need to be anxious about if things are a little unclear. It looks this way, and yet I'm being told this other thing happened instead. And which is true, I don't know. If God is pleased to, he can intervene and give you some information to help you make that decision. He can. Not to say he will. I'm not promising he will. But he can. He could. He has before. That's what we find in his word. Do we need to be anxious about making the wrong decision? Because we thought things were a certain way and they're actually quite another. The Apostle Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. That includes making perfect decisions. That includes how much you do or do not know for certain. For sure and certain. I just combined those two words together. That includes being anxious about tripping over your words too, also. With everything being prayed about, prayed over, us giving thanks to God as we request things from Him, confidently, boldly, humbly, trustingly. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Sometimes our understanding fails us, and we don't put everything together, and we don't fire on all cylinders. And God knows that. And here we have in God's word a reminder, a command, if you will, to do these things so that the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, finally, verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Think about these things, which is to say that it's okay at Christmas time and actually the rest of the time as well to choose to focus on truth, honor, justice, purity, loveliness, commendableness, if that's a word, excellence, praiseworthy things. It is okay to think on those things, to think on those things instead of being anxious. It is okay to look on the bright side. It's okay to be honest when not all is sunshine and rainbows and unicorns and lollipops. It's good that we be real and be honest. And God's word certainly is real and honest about the situation. And God certainly knows that left to our own devices, there's a lot of reasons to be anxious. 
Otherwise, he wouldn't need to tell us to not be anxious in anything, about anything, for anything. You know, I was thinking to myself after I listened to yesterday's podcast episode, as I was working, because I worked on Saturday, and I have worked over 60 hours this week. It's been a long, long time. It has been a long time since I at least was able to charge for 60 hours. I was working 60 hours, only I wasn't allowed for the past six months to charge for 60 hours. If I put down 50, I actually probably worked 60, but that's a side issue. I was listening to my podcast episode yesterday as I was working, and I was thinking more about It's a Wonderful Life, which is a fantastic film if you've never seen it. It's a great film anyways, whether it's Christmas time or it isn't Christmas time. You don't need to watch it just at Christmas time, but it's especially appropriate. If you're going to watch it once a year or any time ever, watch it around Christmas time. But I'm thinking about the movie, and I'm thinking about what a marked shift there is in George Bailey's outlook. He comes home, and he's just been with his uncle, who is very forgetful, who has misplaced $8,000, and now the bank examiner is in town, and there are questions, and it looks like maybe somebody has been helping themselves to the coffers at the Bailey Building and Loan, and that is certainly how Mr. Potter is going to portray things and has portrayed things. and He's set it up to where there's a warrant out for George Bailey's arrest for malfeasance and fraud, mismanagement. He misplaced $8,000. All the while, Mr. Potter knows exactly where that $8,000 is. He has it because he happened to stumble upon the money that George's Uncle Billy misplaced. He knows exactly where the money is. So George comes home from having just lost his temper at Uncle Billy as they look everywhere for this money and can't find it. And George's wife and his children are getting ready for a Christmas party and the family's coming over. The daughter is practicing music. Their son is trying to write something. Another son is playing happily, making noise, but playing happily. George comes home and everything gets on his nerves. Everything is frustrating and everything is annoying. And he is very irritable. Everything is wrong. It's all wrong. He is overcome by his anxiety. After having talked with Mr. Potter, he is rattled and he's expecting to go to jail, to go to prison. And he loses his temper. He yells at his wife and his children. He kicks over some things that he had on his desk, plans and models, architectural for buildings, for bridges, throws papers all over, just absolutely throws a tantrum. And he catches himself. He looks 
in his wife's eyes and his children's eyes and he sees the fear and the concern and the worry and the horror and the sadness that he's just contributed to. And it hits him like a ton of bricks. And he apologizes, starts to, starts to tell them to go back to what they were doing. He wants to undo the damage he's done, but the damage has already been done. His daughter is sobbing and his wife is trying to kind of gather the children together like a mother hen. Tell George to leave them alone. She's frustrated with him. He goes off into the night, stumbling off to the bar. He's going to try and drown his sorrows in alcohol. While he's there, he gets punched in the face because he chewed out one of his children's teacher's her husband is there at the bar next to him, and here's George Bailey's name. George Bailey, huh? Whack! Don't you ever talk to my wife that way? I won't give the whole movie away. If you haven't seen it, you should. You must. You must go watch that movie. I just recommended to this young guy I'm working with on the Chevron account. I told him, Paul, you really, you really should watch that movie. He'd never seen it. His wife's never seen it. I can't believe it. 26 years old, I think he is, has never seen It's a Wonderful Life. So, Paul, if you're listening, still need to watch that movie. Hopefully I didn't give too much away. But I will say this. When George Bailey comes back home again, after having seen what life would have been like for everyone he knows and loves had he never been born, when George Bailey comes back home again after... The temporary supernatural sneak peek has been lifted. Things go back to as they were. He has been born, in fact. He is alive. He comes in the front door, and the bank examiner is there. Law enforcement is there. They are waiting for him because he's about to be arrested. He's about to go to jail. George Bailey comes in, and he's just over the moon, ecstatic, Walks in, shakes their hands. The detective or sheriff or whatever he is reaches into his coat pocket. He's going to pull out a piece of paper and he starts to explain. He's like, let me guess. It's a warrant for my arrest. Well, yes. Fantastic. I'm going to prison. Isn't that great? (laughs) And the reason he thinks that's great, not because he's now truly lost it, But because it's funny how you find you enjoy your life when you're happy to be alive, as the Reliant K song goes. Sunny with a high of 75. Since you took my heavy heart and made it light. And it's funny how you find you enjoy your life when you're happy to be alive. Meanwhile, the bank examiner and law enforcement are just mouth agape jaw dropped, like what in the world? This is not the reaction we're accustomed to. George, meanwhile, is on the warpath to go and see his children, to hug them, to kiss them, to celebrate, to rejoice in the fact that he has children. On his way up the stairs, he grabs hold of the little knob on the end post, and as it always does, it comes off in his hand, because it was a fixer-upper house, after all. 
He apparently doesn't have time to fix that because he's too busy working. He's too busy with family. He's too busy trying to help the people in his life that he loves and cares about. And whereas before, last time that knob came off in his hand, he was about ready to throw it through the wall, barely restrained himself, put it back on there. This time, when it comes off in his hand, it's a reminder, again, that he's alive. This is his life. And he kisses it before he puts it back on there. With a smile on his face, and he celebrates. Now, it isn't to say necessarily that George Bailey is rejoicing in the Lord, but I think that's fairly close, again, to what it is that is being painted for us here. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy, think about these things. How about you think about the fact that you have a wife and you have children? It might be a drafty old house, but you have a house. You have a home. You have family. You have friends. You have life. You're alive. Start with that. Start with the premise that it is a blessing to be alive in the first place. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What if that's enough? What if that is enough for us to have? It is, as it turns out, enough. I should go, though. That's enough for this episode. I am not going to be anxious this morning about how I worked over 60 hours in six days for the first time in a long time. And I'm tired this morning. And I'm singing this morning after having missed practice Monday night. Practicing this morning with the full band. I'm not going to be anxious about that. I'm going to hopefully let my reasonableness be known to everyone. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.